Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Good morning. How are you guys today? You well? So good to be back. I had a chance to, to speak here, I think back in the fall. And uh, I shared then on the subject matter of my first book, which was on doubt and deconstruction. And uh, Nick uh, graciously invited me to come back and talk on my new book, which is about faith. Because I think we need both elements, especially in this moment that we live in, to not only know how to respond apologetically to some of the issues that are being asked right now of culture, but we also need to know how we can grow and how to flourish in our faith. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have a Bible nearby, if you want to grab it and turn with me to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23, and we're going to talk about how our faith can grow, how our soul can flourish. You know, David has this fascinating line here where he says, he restores my soul. And as we're going to talk about today, we do live in this moment where people's souls are hurting. People's souls are struggling. And the question that I've been wrestling with and thinking through the last few years is what does it mean to have a restored soul? What does that look like? What does the Bible have to say? Because I kind of see this dilemma right now where on one hand, we live in a moment where people's souls, as the New York Times said a few months ago, are languishing. We're, we, we live in this cultural moment where the ethos of our age is languish, hurt, struggle. And yet Jesus promised the abundant life. The, the, the Bible talks about our soul coming to life in the presence of God and through the power of the Spirit. So how, how do we take these two ideas and bring them together? And what does it look like for our soul to grow and flourish? This is the question that's before us today from Psalm 23. So let's dive right in. Psalm 23, verse 1. We read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. There it is. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The, the line that I really want to just linger on today and think through is that line where David says, He restores my soul. Because one of the things I think we've all learned is that no matter how much bad is happening in our life, if our soul is flourishing, then nothing we go through can destroy us. If our soul is crumbling, though, if our soul is floundering, then nothing we go through 
can heal us. The health of our soul shapes the outcome of our life. And I think we live in this moment where people's souls are hurting. Family members, sons, daughters, roommates, co-workers, people that maybe should be here today, their, their souls are struggling. They're, they're gasping for air. It's like the story I heard recently of the dad who was with his three-year-old son and they're in the shopping store. And his three-year-old, as three-year-olds often can do, was just having a total meltdown, screaming and yelling. And the dad, he, he was talking. He was saying, Billy, just settle down. Billy, we just have a few more minutes. Billy, everything's going to be okay. And what felt like an eternity, in reality, it was only like 10 minutes or so. Finally, he went through the checkout line and he's walking out into the parking lot. And the guy who checked him out in the checkout line, he then runs after him and he said, sir, I, I just had to stop you because I'm a parent too. And I know how hard and how awkward that can be when, when your kids are having meltdowns like that in the store. And I, I just want you to know that I am so impressed the way that you spoke to Billy, how you talked Billy off the edge, how you, you calmed Billy down. And, and the dad, he looked at this guy and he said, I don't think you understand. I'm Billy. <laughs> so the whole... The whole time he's just talking to himself. You can do it. Just, everything's going to be okay. And I think we kind of live in this moment right now where, man, we, we feel like it's hard just to even get up, go to church, find those times and places where our soul can be refreshed. You know, the word that I hear so often in conversations, especially over the last couple of years, when I ask people how they're doing, and then they respond like, oh, I'm good. And then you ask like, how are you really doing? Because you can tell there's more going on beneath the surface. And the word that I so often hear is, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm weary. As I mentioned, the New York Times just a few months ago, they put out in this article and they said, the, the current ethos of our age is languishing. And, and we're gonna see some of the stats that, that affirm this. Our souls are tired. So how do we restore a tired soul? How do we heal a soul that's been broken or exhausted from two years of politics and pandemic and the death of loved ones and the deconstruction that's happening with faith across our nation? How can our souls be restored? And this is why I had us turn to Psalm 23, because Psalm 23 is probably the most well-known psalm, certainly in church circles, I would argue even in, in culture. Uh, this, this is a psalm you see it in art and music and movies. Uh, you hear it in popular songs, Jay-Z, funerals, right? People love this psalm. You think of those movies where maybe someone dies, in the very next scene, there's a group of people hanging out at the cemetery. And someone inevitably, what psalm are they reading? Psalm 23. We've associated it culturally with death, dying, and funerals. But the irony is that Psalm 23 wasn't written to describe funerals. It was written to describe the flourishing soul. Every line in this psalm is bursting with hope and life and possibility. You look at the words that David uses here. He says, green pastures, quiet waters, the right path. He says, even when I go through the hard times, the, the darkest valleys, he says, I'm not gonna be afraid because you're with me. He talks about a table that's prepared for us, a feast that's fit for a king. He says, my 
cup overflows. He says, goodness and mercy will follow me. In the Hebrew language, it's the word pursue. We think of the 18th century poet, Francis Thompson, and he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. We talk about God who chases us down, who pursues us. God, you're chasing after me. You're my shepherd. You love me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, these aren't words of tragedy or death. These are words of abundance and life and hope. In fact, we see this in the opening words of the psalm where he says, God, you're my shepherd. And then verse three, he says, you restore my soul. Now, here's a question for you. And it's one that I've kind of been pondering the last couple years as I've been in the writing process. Okay, we're gonna talk about the flourishing of the soul, the healing of the soul, the health of the soul. What is a soul? If you were to go out on the streets of Longmont or... Boulder. Last night, uh, Nick and Rosemary and I, we went out to Boulder. Fascinating city, right? Uh, Eclectic in so many ways. Tarot card readers, a guy who fits himself inside a tiny box, like pot, like all kinds of stuff. But if you were to ask the average person in Boulder, like, okay, what is a soul? You would probably get some kind of enigmatic answer like, well, the soul is this nebulous, invisible part of you that, that keeps on living even when your physical body dies. You you think of that old prayer that parents, I guess, would say to their kids at night, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my, what, soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, which is kind of a messed up thing to say to your kids at night. (laughs) You might die, good luck. And then we wonder why they need counseling, right? I think most people can have this view of the soul where it's, okay, it's, it's some invisible part of you. We don't really know what it is. Or if you saw last year, the movie Soul by Pixar, right? those 2D neon dimensional lines. It's very platonic, by the way. It's this part of you that somehow exists in some other realm. Or we use the word soul to describe music, rap, pop, jazz, soul, food, right? In and out is my soul burger. Um, we use it to describe ethics, like he's a good soul or she has no soul. Or love, she's my soulmate, we'll say. So we use this term in so many different ways to describe so many different things. And maybe it's because of our inability to adequate, adequately define soul that we seem unable to care for our soul. Because when you go to scripture, what you find is really the soul is the deepest part of you that shapes the entirety of who you are. The word soul, in the language of the Old Testament, Hebrew, is the word nefesh. Uh, Let me hear you say nefesh. And nefesh is translated, by the way, over 700 times in the Old Testament alone as life, self, person, desire, appetite, emotion, and passion. In other words, it's a very broad term that doesn't just describe your quote-unquote spiritual life or the kind of food you like or the music genre. No, soul, for the Jewish mindset, was the entirety of of who you are, the deepest part of you. And what you see in scripture is that if your soul is healthy, that will influence and shape your entire life. Likewise, if your soul is unhealthy or toxic or broken or wounded or exhausted, 
then that too will shape the entirety of who you are. And what the Bible teaches us is that the fact that we have a soul, that actually separates us from the rest of the world for that matter. Plants reproduce, they don't have a soul. Rocks are interesting, they don't have a soul. Uh, Or look at the difference between cats and dogs. A dog, the way a dog thinks is, wow, my owners love me. They feed me. They take care of me. They must be gods. A cat, on the other hand, (laughs) thinks, wow, my owners love me, feed me, take care of me. I must be a god, right? What's the difference? Well, one has a soul, the other doesn't, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) don't get me in trouble. Um, So the Bible says that we have a soul. I promise it's going to get better, man. It really will. Um, (laughs) He's mad about the, the cat comment. So the fact that you have a soul, the Bible tells us we need to address it, we need to care for it, we need to nurture it, we need to bring it to the feet of Jesus. This is why Jesus said, when you're weary and heavy laden, when you're languishing, when you're hurting, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. Your soul is the deepest part of you that shapes the entirety of who you are. Now, here, here's a few verses to write down. In, in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Or 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 says, I wish above all things that you would prosper, the word is flourish there in the original language, that you would flourish and be in health even as your soul prospers. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And here's an important one. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So I think of Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, and he talked about how sin grows in our soul every moment it's not addressed. Peter warns us, he says, we live in the moment where the enemy, culture, temptation, technology, struggle, emotional struggles, the sabotaging of our soul through unforgiveness, all of these things are coming against us that wants to strangle the life out of our soul that wants to wound our soul. Uh, a couple years ago, I had a chance to go to Peru. Um, has anyone in this room ever been to Peru? Okay, I see a few hands. It's an amazing country, if you ever get a chance. Beautiful. Llamas, the city Cusco, amazing culture. It's like stepping into Emperor's New Groove, if you've seen that. It's, it's an amazing place. But while I was there, I saw this tree. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the strangler fig. Now, I say, I say tree. Uh, it's really a parasite. The strangler fig, it starts at the top of healthy trees. And what it does is it slowly works its way down. So it starts at the light source and works its way down. It wraps around the healthy tree. It forms kind of a bark or a shell around the tree. And it goes all the way down to the bottom. And what it does is it, it's called the strangler fig because it literally strangles the healthy tree inside. And you give it enough months or years, the tree inside dies, withers up. And you can see from that picture, it's essentially an empty, hollow shell 
That's all that's left. And when I saw that, I thought, well, C.S. Lewis, he talked about this, men with no chests, he described, how we, we live in this moment right now where maybe we can have the appearance of health or the appearance of, hey, I'm doing good, but inside, how many souls are being strangled, are gasping for air, are hurting, are wounded. We don't let people know. We don't let people inside. We're not really to acknowledge our pain, our grief, our lament, our languish. And yet the invitation of the word is, God says, I want to heal your soul. I want to restore your soul. Did you know in the, in the scriptures, the most primary metaphor for a healthy human, a healthy soul, is a tree that's flourishing? This is why in Psalm chapter 1, it says the person who delights in the Lord is like a tree planted by rivers of living water. There's fruit in its season. Whatever they do flourishes. It's why the book of Genesis starts with a tree of life. God creates Adam and Eve, and you can see the same word and terminology when he says, be fruitful, be multiply. He also uses that of the trees because he's saying your soul is to be like a tree. It's why in the book of Revelation, we see Eden once again reborn, that there's a tree of life for the healing, the flourishing of the nations. And just like a tree, if the roots of the tree are healthy, the fruit of the tree will be healthy. If the root of your life, your soul, your nefesh is healthy, then so too it shapes and affects everything. This is why Jesus says, you can gain the whole world, but if you've lost your soul, you've lost everything. And brothers and sisters, you all know this, but we live in a time today where people are being strangled, their soul is gasping for air. Pew Research, secular culture, is actually kind of revealing this in recent months. And some of the stats are absolutely heartbreaking. Did you know, according to recent studies, 75% of Americans feel overwhelmed by stress, 72% are exhausted, 68% feel defeated. This one's so sad. 67% of Americans say they're lonely. 51% say they're discouraged. And this one, again, is so heartbreaking. 48% say that they're hopeless. We're facing a crisis of soul. The, the spiritual writer Thomas More, he once said that the great malady of the modern age is what he called loss of soul. Here's the question that, that I want to put forth this morning. In a moment where there's loss of soul, in a moment where maybe our own souls are languishing, gasping, hurting, wounded, how can our souls be restored? How can we experience what David described who he went through a time of loss, burnout, sin, discouragement, and yet he came to a place where he said, Lord, my, my soul's overflowing, my cup overflows, my, my soul, my nefesh is healed. And, and the question that, that I've been wrestling with that led me to write the book is, okay, but what does that look like practically? How can our soul be restored? That's what we're gonna talk about for the next four and a half hours. So fasten your seatbelt. No, I'm kidding. What, what, what I do in the book is I, 
I, I take us on a journey to 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter describes, he actually uses this analogy of a tree that's withering, and he then describes these seven different gifts. He said, add these things to your faith, that it may keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, which was a Hebrew idiom to describe a tree that had withered. Think the strangler fig. He said, if you don't want to be like that tree, here's what you're to add to your faith. And he lists there seven different gifts, beautiful, life-giving, practical gifts or virtues. He says, add these to your faith. It's for the restoration of our soul. Now, because we have like, I don't know, 15 minutes, I just want to talk about one. And it's why I had us turn to Psalm 23, because it's the same thing that David talks about. And here it is. Restoration of the soul begins with intimacy with God. Restoration of the soul begins with intimacy with God. I, I want us to go back to Psalm 23 in verse 1. And notice what David says here. First of all, he says, God, you're my shepherd. Uh, the word shepherd in Hebrew is the word ra'ah. Sounds like a Katy Perry song. You're going to hear me ra'ah. And it means protector, provider, and friend. Now, what I want us to note here about this word shepherd is that this is the language of intimacy. Because being a shepherd in the ancient world, it wasn't like working for Chick-fil-A or something. You punch the clock and you're done eight hours later. If you were a shepherd, this was a lifestyle. Uh, you ate with the sheep, you slept with the sheep, you hung out with the sheep, you got to know the sheep, you gave them names. At night, you put the sheep in a pen and the shepherd would lay across the opening to that cave or pen to protect the sheep because sheep aren't known for being the smartest animals, right? It, which to me is fascinating that one of the primary metaphors for humans is sheep. It's why Jesus said, I'm the door to the sheep because just like shepherds would sleep at night with these sheep protecting them, against wolves, against predators. This language here isn't the language of the 18th century deists. The deists believe that the creator made the world, wound it up like a clock, and then set it off, and then the God just left, you know, went on vacation to Maui or something. No, this is a God who's close. This is a God who's near. It's why David says, Lord, you lead me, where? To the green pastures, the still waters. The word lead is this word nahal. It means to take gently, to lead gently by the hand. Because if a sheep was agitated or upset or confused or wounded or stressed, what that shepherd would do is not like, okay, get back in line or kick the sheep. No, that shepherd gently, if it was a good shepherd, would take that sheep by the hand and bring it to a place of rest, the green pastures, the still waters. And it's from this place of closeness with the shepherd that we come to verse three, where he says, he restores my soul. Now, here's what's so fascinating. I wish we had a long time to talk about this. Okay, the, the word soul is nefesh. Nefesh is also related to this other Hebrew word, nafash. So you have nefesh, nafash. Nafash means to take a deep breath. Okay, try it right now. Just take a deep breath. That feeling of calm, that feeling of presence, that feeling of, okay, it's good to take a deep breath. 
That's the word nefash, or if you've ever gone diving. Uh, when, when I was a missionary, we would dive for fish, and some of these guys could go down so deep, and when your head comes up and breaks the surface of the water, you breathe in deeply. Or I think when we first moved to Colorado eight months ago and going over the, the Continental Divide or Independence Pass, it's like, what, 12,000 feet or something? And I got elevation sickness. I didn't know what was going on. And then you start going back down the mountain, right? And you start to breathe deeply again, that sense of clarity that comes back to your mind. I'm not dying. It's all good. Colorado's fine, right? Nafash, to take a deep breath. Did you know that for thousands of years, the way that Jewish people interpreted uh, Psalm 23, the way they uh, translated verse three was he restores my soul. They translated that as he returns my breath to me. In a moment where people are exhausted, in a moment where people feel like the life is being sucked down of them, pandemic, politics, Inflation, war, loneliness, depression, anxiety, loss of loved ones. In a moment of intense grief, when our souls are gasping for air, the promise of God's word is you have a shepherd who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to return your breath to your soul. Now, when I, when I first discovered this in Psalm 23, and I'm like, yeah, that's what we long for right now. We want to breathe deeply again. And then I remembered the first time the word soul is found in the Bible. Some of you know this. The very first mention of nefesh in the Bible is Genesis 2-7. Check this out. It says, God formed Adam from the dust. So God made the world in six days. By the way, after he created things, he said three words. It is good. He made Pikes Peak. It is good. He made Colorado. It is good. He made Longmont. It is very good. He made Pueblo. He's like, ah. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then on the sixth day, he creates man, Adam, takes a look at him. He's like, I can do better than that. That's when he made women, Right? And then he breathed into them. Let's bring that verse back up. He breathed into them, and it says, they became a living, what? Soul. This is the first mention of the word soul in the Bible. The word living here is so beautiful. Um, it, it literally means a flower that's blossoming with beauty and color and vibrancy. It's what you'll hopefully give your mom this afternoon, right? Flowers, flourishing is, is literally the word. God's vision for the human soul is that our soul not would be gasping for air, but that our soul would flourish, that our soul would be alive, that our soul would be connected to its creator. And this language of intimacy is from the very opening pages of scripture. Adam and Eve received their soul, how? through the breath of God. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Do you know the word breath in Hebrew is ruach? It means breath, wind, or spirit. The spirit of God, the breath of God, the ruach of God, he breathed on them and they began to flourish like a beautiful flower. Their soul came alive. Now, 
if you're close enough to someone to feel their breath on your face, that's, that's pretty close, right? Like every pastor knows this. Usually after each service, there's usually that one person who gets right up in your face and it's really close. This is why pastors will carry mints with them, right? But if you feel someone's breath on your face on a regular basis, like that's pretty intimate. You're either married or about to be. <laughs> Adam's soul came to be through the breath of God. We were made to live in intimacy with our creator. Nefesh, nefash, he restores my soul. He returns my breath to me. It's why Jesus said, come to me when you're tired, when your soul is weary, and you will find healing, you will find rest. And that is the invitation in a moment where our souls, maybe your soul here today, chances are there are people in this room and it's a miracle you're here. Maybe someone drug you here. Maybe you didn't want to come here, but you're here anyway. And maybe this has been a week or a month or a year of, man, my soul's hurting. Man, I, I feel exhausted. The invitation of God's spirit right here and right now is to breathe again, to receive him, to come close to him, to put him first, to invite him into every area of your life. You know, it was about a year ago, my wife, Elisa, she was sick for a bit, and then she had a spontaneous lung collapse. Uh, they, they call it a pneumothorax. Long story short, spent a couple weeks in the ER, really touch and go at certain points. She had one surgery, didn't work, led to a, a complication, they tried to fix that, led to another surgery where they, they go in and they basically cause a bunch of trauma to the inside of your chest cavity and kind of stick the lung back and the hope is that it will heal and, and, and not collapse anymore. It's like pretty barbaric, to be honest, and one of the most painful things. They warned us about it. Like, this is gonna hurt when you wake up. And sure enough, she comes out of surgery. Every breath brought tears to her eyes, like just gasping. And as she's there trying to recover in the hospital and finally dis discharge to go home, the, the doctor, he gave her this, this interesting plastic box thingy with a tube attached to it. And he said, this, this contraption, he says, you need to breathe deeply into it as, as much as you can, several times a day. And he said, the deeper you breathe, the more you will heal. And that's always stuck with me. The deeper you breathe, the more you will heal. In a time where it feels like many of us are gasping for air. Sons, daughters, friends, roommates, relatives, their souls are languishing. The invitation of the Spirit of God is the deeper you breathe, the more you will heal. Come to me, seek me, be still and know that I am God. I'm your shepherd, I'm leading you, I love you, I invite you to come and find restoration for your soul. And here's the good news, and I leave you with this thought. The restoration of the soul, flourishing, the flower blossoming, blooming, this isn't some far off legalistic place. The flourishing of the soul actually begins here and now. Walking with God like Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Not, not just in church and singing and having communion as we will in a moment, but it's as we go from this place, the presence of God is there. 
As God told Moses, take off your sandals because the place where you stand is holy ground. What a beautiful thought. This is holy ground. After services, we catch up and have coffee and talk to each other. It's holy ground. Spending time with your mom this afternoon is holy ground. Even getting up tomorrow morning for work is holy ground. The presence of God is there. Doing the dishes, walking the dog, going to Whole Foods and walking away with one bag, but you spent $500. <laughs> it is holy ground. You know, the, the, the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she said this, and, and, and I love this quote. She said, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. Our soul can breathe again through intimacy and closeness with God. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray for this beautiful church. I thank you, Lord, for every single person in this room. And Lord, I pray especially for those who may be here today whose souls feel like they're drowning or gasping for air. For those who have walked through the valley, for those who have struggled over this last season, for those who are weary, burdened. Lord, I pray even now through the power of your spirit that you breathe into our souls again. Like David said, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. We know, Lord, that in the word, oil is a picture of the spirit. So we invite your spirit to anoint us, to fill us, and especially those in this place, God, whose souls are weary. Lord, I pray for rest, healing, and restoration. As we, Lord, put you first, as we step into intimacy with you. Lead us, Lord, even this week to green pastures and still waters and restore our soul in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.